0: you know, just that you've accumulated these investments, these 401ks, this cash, this insurance stuff, but you have no idea how it's going to help you in retirement. You were just told to buy stuff. In our practice, we say, okay, let's put our arms around all that. How do we coordinate that? So now you have a plan on how you're going to utilize all these resources that you saved your entire life for so you can have that confidence in retirement.
1: There are many factors that contribute to success, skill, good work habits, positive mental attitude, and of course, proper planning. So let's head to the drafting table and get this retirement success blueprint underway with Michael Stewart of Crystal Lake Tax and Financial. I'm your co-host, Mark Killian. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome into the Retirement Success Blueprint Podcast. Thanks for tuning into the show as we talk investing, finance, and retirement with Michael Stewart from Crystal Lake Tax and Financial into January and we are also, obviously that means we're into 2021, so we have this new year upon us, so hopefully we can continue to shed some good information and uh, nuggets of information to you along the way here on the podcast. we got a good show lined up. We're going to talk about five important retirement statistics worth understanding here on this week's podcast, but first let's say hi to Mike. What's going on, my friend? How are you? Happy New Year to you, Mark. Happy New Year to you. How are you guys doing? Doing okay? We're doing well. Just Chicago winter, but you know,
0: outside of that, we're all right.
1: <laughs> we were talking. Uh, I talked to advisors all over the country, and the the term that comes back to me with how your holiday was was low key. Does that uh, does that work for you as well?
0: Uh, yeah, it might even be a little bit of an understatement. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty much just a, a immediate close family. You know, trying to re- respect the protocol.
1: Gotcha. Okay, well, are very good. We're well, very good. Well, I'm glad uh, that you guys had a good holiday, and hopefully, our listeners did as well. And as I said, we're going to talk some statistics, so let's jump into that here in just a second. But before we do, let me toss out a little headline uh, and get uh, get your take on this, Mike. So uh, it, uh, the interest rates, you know, low, so it's a great time to buy a house, right? We always hear that kind of thing, but home values are high, so it's a great time to sell a house. <laughs> which one are we supposed to be doing right now? We have these uh, interest. I think that's our world in general where we have this, conflicting information and it makes it very hard to figure out what to do about anything
0: yeah I, I, and what i always say you know and in, in all the podcasts and we're meeting with clients is you know kind of what does your plan say what does your financial plan say you know so it's not about our real estate prices up or down it's you know is this our forever home is this a transition home is this you know what's the purpose of it so it's all kind of relative and you know because sure you could cash out now and you know and we've had a nice bump in real estate across the country with everything that's going on in 2020 so you could cash out for more than you could a year or two ago But at the same time, if you're going to go right back in and buy something, chances are you're going to overpay for whatever, because wherever you're going is probably appreciated as well. And that's why I said it's kind of relative, you know, a good example that would be, you know, in the depths of 08, 09 and the great financial crisis when real estate plummeted in value. So just the opposite of here, we had clients saying, hey, you know, should I sell my house and, you know, go buy this because there's a foreclosure down the street or, you know, there's a short sale so I can get it for 20, 30% less. Mm -hmm that true, but you would also have to sell your own home, even though nothing's changed with it. You know, your own home, just because everything around you has gone down in value, you'd also have to sell your own home for 20, 30% less. So yes, you're getting a bargain in what you're going into, but you're giving up something. So this is kind of the complete opposite, but really the same logic. What you really want to do is take a look at what's the purpose of the home that you're in right now. And I'll give you an example. We've got some clients that, knew that they were going to retire within the next year, didn't want it to be contingent on if they could sell their home or not. So they're taking advantage of the fact that real estate prices are high now. And doesn't mean that they couldn't go higher, but they know that they're a lot higher than they were a year ago. So they're actually selling their home now, going to rent for six to 12 months before retirement. And then knowing that, you know, then they're not tied down to a house. Plus they got to kind of cash out at what they feel is a pretty good price. On another side of it, we've got clients that are selling their house now. Let's say they're going to move. You know, we've got one specific client just recently moved to Florida, recently retired, moved to Florida. And instead, they cashed out high here in Illinois, and then they're going to rent in Florida. And the reason why is because they don't want where they land in Florida to feel like I'm on vacation all the time. They really want it to be their home. So what they're going to do is they're going to rent a place, you know, on Airbnb. They're going to rent a place for three months in one area that they like. Oh. See, you know, because once you get past about a week or two, it's no longer feels like a vacation. You kind of live there. So get a feel for the community. Then they're going to rent another place in another community they're thinking about for about another three months. So at the end of that first year, they'll have lived in three or four different locations and then kind of pick and choose then when they're going to go in and buy. you know. So when it comes to real estate choices, it's great if the market's turning in your favor, but understand that it's a bigger question and bigger emphasis on what's the purpose of that house for you. It's more than just money at some point.
1: Right. That's a cool idea, though. I like that. They're just going to kind of feel it out and get a good uh, a good sense of what it's like and check out the different communities until they find the one that works for them. So very good. All right. Well, cool. You know, a lot of times people struggle with, you know, understanding what the right thing to do is kind of to that point of that headline this week. So let's talk about some statistics, Mike, that might be worth uh, understanding. I think they're fairly important. Pretty curious as as to some of the numbers on this too. So we'll get into these a little bit, let you kind of break them down and, and maybe they underscore a real problem that people face. You know, maybe it's something that you've not addressed or even thought about. So let's go through a couple of these. I think this data is probably from early 2020, but we'll go in here and take a look anyway and see what what your take on this is. So the first one I've got for you here, it says only 17% of American workers describe themselves as very confident that they'll have enough money to retire or be good in retirement. So only 17%. Does that kind of equate with what you see coming in the door for new prospects?
0: Uh, it, it does. And I blame it on the industry, really, whether it's Wall Street or brokers in general, because you know, the, the message that you hear as in your, when you're in your 30s, your 40s, even your 50s as you're approaching retirement is, you know, save more. You know, what's your number? You need a, some big number out there. But they don't tell you why. They just said, you know, more is better than less. Or it's take more risk, because that's how you get real returns. Or accumulate, accumulate. But really what you need to know and what gives you confidence is understanding that when you get into retirement, it's all about income. It's not about growth anymore. It's not about is the S&P 500 up 30 percent. It's about can you pay your bills in retirement without running out of money? So that 17 percent of American workers describing themselves as only very confident. That comes from the Retirement Confidence Survey that they call Preparing for Retirement in America. And they said six out of 10 feel relatively confident. And even that number is kind of shocking. You're like, well, six out of 10, it's a little bit more than half. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it's barely more than half. So barely more than half of pre-retirees think, have any confidence that, you know, that they're going to have enough in retirement. So when you come down to 17% feeling very confident, it's because they, they haven't been instructed about how they're going to generate a lifetime of income when that paycheck stops. You know, we talk to clients about retirement being permanent unemployment, right? So now that if you're, whether you're 60, 62, 67, whatever age it makes sense for you to retire, you may have another 20 or 30 years ahead of you without paychecks where you're only going to have social security, maybe a small pension, and then you have to live off of your savings. So when you work with an advisor, a fiduciary like us, what you need to find out is what gives you that confidence is where is my income coming in in retirement? So it's no longer about what the market's doing or what the Fed's doing or who's president. It's about how do I generate a lifetime of income that I can't outlive?
1: Yeah. And 83% of people you know, basically not having any confidence or very little or whatever the case might be on that scale uh, really just comes back to a lot of times we just don't know things because we also don't take the time to find out. And so coming in and having a conversation, and I would think that, and I've heard this again from many advisors across the country, that more times than not, people are fairly often pleased to find out they're not as bad a shape as they thought. They just have to do it. They come in and they have a conversation with someone like yourself. And you know, again, they're fairly, you know, happy to find out, hey, that's not as bad as I thought. Do you Mm -hmm. see that as well?
0: Uh, All all the time. You know, most of the individuals, prospective clients that come in, they said, you know, I want to retire. Like a good example, I was sitting at my conference table yesterday with one of our clients Mm -hmm. and said, you know what, two years is, you know, I'm willing to do this and continue to work for two years. Had recently received an inheritance and saying, you know, Uh, you know, I'm not sure if that's doable. Well, we ran the numbers on how to calculate he and his spouse's social security and the timing of it, as well as, you know, tweaks on the investment side of it. And all of a sudden said, you know what, basically this year, if you want to, we can generate the income and the lifestyle that you want to, because he was concerned about potentially getting laid off, things are a little bit slow with everything going on. And I said, you know, this can be your decision rather than your employer's decision. That's So the, the key thing there is, just like you said, it's People have accumulated this stuff. And in past episodes, we talk about your financial junk drawer, you know, just that you've accumulated these investments, these 401ks, this cash, this insurance stuff, but you have no idea how it's going to help you in retirement. You were just told to buy stuff. In our practice, we say, okay, let's put our arms around all that. How do we coordinate that? So now you have a plan on how you're going to utilize all these resources that you saved your entire life for so you can have that confidence in retirement.
1: That's great. And that's the whole point, right? So figuring that out. And that's what the Retirement Success Blueprint is all about. So let's continue moving on with some of these statistics. The average 65-year-old woman, Mike, uh, says has a life expectancy of about another 20.7 years, uh, so basically about 85 86 is kind of what we're looking at. Again, does that fall in line with what you see? Uh,
0: it, it does, you know, and many times when we're doing that retirement success blueprint and building a plan for our clients, and the husband and wife are sitting there, usually one of the two of them are more engaged in the financial side of, of their relationship, mm-hmm. and you know, we Basically, make it mandatory that both couples have to be involved in the planning process, even if one's making most of the decisions. And the main reason why is it's because of this stat that I say, you know, realistically, here's what's going to happen at some point, hopefully in the far future. But at some point in the future, if we work together long enough. I'm only going to be sitting here with one of you and if that happens it's important that you both understand why we're making the choices that we are now we both understand the expectations where our incomes coming from how much risk we are or are not taking because at some point life happens right there right. will be one of you and typically it's the it's the wife that's sitting in front of us and you know we as gentlemen tend to pass away earlier in that same report you know by Statista, the average man who's 65 lives to 78 and a half Okay. You know, so if you think about that, he's got about 13, 14 years ahead of him. She's got another 20 years. So you need to plan accordingly.
1: Yeah. And I think that's why a lot of times advisors plan to, you know, they'll just kind of say, well, we're going to plan to 100 because, hey, you know, you might, you might have a good genetics or any number of other just luck, you know, who knows what, but you may live even longer than that. So it's always a good idea to plan out even further than some of the uh, mortality tables and things of that nature. Uh, how about this one, Mike? And now, I don't know the exact numbers, but uh, you and I are in the the smaller of the generations here. We're Gen Xers. Uh, and so you've got the boomers and then you've got the millennials. Uh, 16.5% of our country's population is over the age of 65. Now, that doesn't encompass all boomers because there's a wide range there, but that's a pretty good chunk of people. 16% of our population is 65 or over.
0: And getting larger every day. And and if you look at uh, according to Statista, there's let me give you two kind of different you know versions here. So one is it's about seventeen percent, sixteen and a half percent today. By twenty fifty, it's expected to be twenty two percent, or nearly one in every four people in the United States are going to be age sixty five or older. Wow,
1: one in four, huh?
0: Yeah. One in four. So you get, you get 22%, you know, and that's just in, you know, 2050 seems so far away, but basically it's, you know, less than 30 years away from where we are right now. Right. Uh, and, and, and basically it doubles about every, about every 30 years or so. If you go back to 1950, the number of individuals in the United States that were over 65 was 8%. So if you think about it, we went from 8% in 1950 to 16, 17% now here in 2020, 2021 And that's going to go up to 22% by 2050. So, you know, when you take a look at how that impacts maybe the stock market, how that impacts the workforce, the economy, it's a pretty huge thing. You know, one as kind of an aside, you know, it's when I look back at that 1950 number of only being 8% of individuals over 65, Mm -hmm. think about Social Security, right? When Social Security is rolled out and Edna Mae Fuller got her first check, you know, back in like 1940, 42, um, the thing was that you were eligible for Social Security at 65. Well, if in 1950, you know, another decade later, only 8% of the population was actually 65 or older, sure. that's a great example that Social Security was never designed to be 100% of your retirement income. And the government didn't really think they were going to have to be paying many people, nor did they have to think <laughs> right. that they were going to have to pay you very long, right? Because if only 8% lasted to 65, sure, yeah. Chances are it wasn't designed to be a 20 or 30 year retirement for most people. Yeah, now, it speaks to our to,
1: longevity, right? We're just living and, longer and longer.
0: Absolutely. So when you look at men living to 78, women living into 85, uh, the reality on that, though, is that that's why Social Security is broken, you know, is because the original purpose of it wasn't retirement security for the masses. It was retirement security for those fortunate enough to make it to 65 and maybe hadn't saved enough.
1: Yeah. And, you know, it's not a uniquely American problem either. Sometimes I think we think that is the case, but other, you know, every nation had a baby boom, you know, after World War World War II. And I was reading not too long ago, I think Japan had just recently moved their retirement age to 60. They'd moved it up. So they're still behind us a little bit and they're considering moving it up again another couple of years as well. So, you know, many, many nations are facing the same kind of problem problem was what to do with an aging population. So it's certainly something you want to be factoring in and and paying attention to when you're working with an advisor and getting your own plans put together, taking in that longevity, those two stats kind of working together to show that. Uh, And this one kind of goes right along in that same vein a little bit, Mike. It says the average retiree spends around 300 grand on out-of-pocket medical expenses over the course of their retirement. That's a pretty good chunk (laughs) chunk of money right there.
0: Yeah. If you think about, you know, between what you're paying for Medicare, what you're paying for your supplements, what you're paying for your co-pays, you know, things that aren't covered like dental and vision and other things, the older you get, you just tend to need more medical care. Right. And, you know, so, you know, if you just go back a few years ago, that that wasn't 300,000, that was a little over 200,000. So healthcare inflation and the cost of everything is just continues to grow. What I find amazing about this statistic, where we're saying almost three hundred thousand, you know, just for a lifetime of health care in retirement, isn't necessarily, you know, that that equates to ten or twenty thousand dollars a year, depending on how long your retirement is. It's more so is that doesn't even pick up the very real likelihood that you're either going to need, you know, especially if you're married, one of the two of you are going to either need home health care mm-hmm. or assisted living facility, nursing home, or so. Yeah. So, so that nearly three hundred thousand doesn't even pick up. I mean, in Illinois alone. If you need skilled care at home, that means you know a nurse that you know pops in and you know helps you out. That average is about forty-five thousand dollars a year, according to the Council for Long Term Care. If you need assisted living, you know, so part-time help, it's about seventy-five thousand. And for some of our clients that are full-time nursing care, full skilled care in a nursing home, it's ninety to one hundred thousand dollars a year. Wow! Now all of that is above and beyond you know, with the, these other health care numbers that we're throwing out, that's just for general maintenance type care. So, you know, we position it with clients. Sure. We help them on you know the Medicare decisions and the other kind of things for general health care. But then we also pull back the, you know, the percentages say one of the two are going to need some sort of long-term care either at home or elsewhere So if we needed a long-term care in the future, how would we pay for it? You know, you got to have that very real conversation. Otherwise, it can deplete not only your legacy, but your entire savings.
1: And some of those numbers, Mike, that you were just tossing out is that that typically is not for something like dementia or Alzheimer's, right? Doesn't that usually get kicked up and then the length of term of care is required is longer? And then sometimes that transitions, obviously, to more of a facility, uh, depending on how, you know, how the situation kind of goes along. I hear that those numbers typically are much, much higher as well.
0: Absolutely. It's, it's all based on kind of the, the staggered level of care that you need. And one of the shocking things, you know, so if you're talking to somebody that's just trying to sell you, you know, long-term care insurance and mm-hmm. they come up with, you know, how do you come up with that number? And they'll say, well, the average long-term care, you know, need in a hospital is about $100,000 a year and you're typically in there about three years. So you need $300,000 of coverage. And then the typical consumer says, okay, that's what I need. But the reality is that's an average. And what I mean by that is, you know, there's a large portion of individuals that need skilled care, nursing home care, have dementia, what have you, that only make it three to six months, right? Mm, They're in bad shape going in, so they don't necessarily last as long. Then, Then there's this entirely different group that is like dementia, as you had mentioned before. And the difference on those is they may be in great physical shape, just they're slipping a little bit on the mental side. So what happens is they need care for six to 10 years. Well, what happens when that $300,000 runs out because it's a limited bucket of money in most long-term care policies. So you need to have some sort of contingency plan. You know, we use what's called a hybrid long-term care plan that has lifetime benefits. Uh, You know, that's beyond the scope of today's conversation, but you need to really consider that, that if you did need care, Is that insurance actually going to pay you for the period of time that you need that care, whether it's for health reasons or for mental reasons?
1: Gotcha. Okay. Well, some good information here today on the podcast. We're going to do one more here on on our statistics, uh, retirement statistics, and that is 90% of people uh, over the age of 60 say that a written plan sounds like a good idea, is important, but about 20% only uh, have one. So they actually just go through with the process, which kind of pretty close to some of those numbers we talked about earlier in the show here, where people, uh, feel like this is a good idea and they think it's something they should do. They just don't follow through with getting it done.
0: Yeah. In, in my practice, I would be shocked if 20% of people actually truly had a full-blown written financial plan. Okay. Now, m- most of the clients that we work with, that's one of our requirements. When someone comes in and, and sits with us, at the end of the day, if we think that we're a good fit, we're like, you've got two different options. One is we can build out the plan for you and we charge X dollars and it's not cheap. But then you you take the plan, implement it yourself, you just pay us for the plan for our time. The other one is if you are somebody that wants more of a relationship and we'll build the plan for you, we don't charge you for the plan because now we're gonna have an ongoing advisory relationship. So there will be an annual advisory fee associated with that. But then we do all the heavy lifting, the implementation and things when we look at that it all starts with a plan you know i always use the alice in wonderland quote that if you don't know where you're going any road will take you there right and that's unfortunately how many people even those that have been working with brokers for 10 20 years When they come in to get their second opinion or just, you know, second set of eyes on, you know, that they feel something's wrong with the plan or lack of plan that they have. And we go through our process with them on how we're gonna touch, you know, how, where's your retirement income coming from, making sure you have an investment plan, a tax plan, a healthcare plan for long-term care, making sure your estate plan and the right documents are in place that's having a retirement plan you know we call ours a retirement success blueprint unfortunately most people come in with an investment plan and it's just this hodgepodge of stocks bonds mutual funds annuities whatever it happens to be but there is no direction on how they're getting income how they're going to save money in taxes. What happens if they need long-term care? If they get hit by a bus tomorrow, are their beneficiaries going to be okay? Do they have the right documents in place? So, you know, like I said, I would be shocked because there's so many people, whether they've been working with you know Mother Merrill for 30 years or the local <laughs> Jones guy, uh, they don't build plans. They build investment plans. Rarely do they actually build financial plans, but a financial plan is more important to you than just this hodgepodge of investments because the plan is your roadmap on how you're going to be confident and successful going forward.
1: Well, and if you need help, folks, as always, anything we talk about on this show or any other, you should check with a qualified professional before you take any action. So reach out to Mike to talk about your own retirement success blueprint at 815-526-3092. If you're already working with him, that's great. But if you're not, that's the number to call 815-526-3092 or stop by crystallaketax.com. That is CrystalLakeTax.com. And while you're there, you can submit an email question to uh, Mike and his team or to the podcast if you'd like. And that's what we're going to wrap up this week's show with is an email from Victoria in Chicago. She says, Michael, I'm a conservative investor, and the market was up about 15% or so, it seems, for last year. But I was not. I didn't do that well. Should I fire my broker?
0: Yeah, Victoria, that's a great question. And, you know, we talked about even on the real estate side and the home things about things being relative. This is another great example of it. And especially as you're approaching retirement, in retirement, your mindset has to kind of change a little bit. I call it kind of the 401kification, you know, of things is that everybody just looks at a statement and they want to compare it to something to see how they're doing. When the reality is it's more of an inward comparison. It's more of looking at your plan and saying, okay, how much risk do I need to take to achieve a certain rate of return so I can pay my bills for the next 30 years of retirement? That's the way you should look at returns once you're either getting close to retirement or in retirement. Instead, what most people do is they say, okay, the market was up 15%. I look at mine, I was only up eight. Oh, my broker's doing a bad job. (laughs) Well, not necessarily. If Victoria, you said, you know, early sixties, pretty conservative. Um, Chances are you didn't have a hundred percent of your money in the market. So if you didn't have a hundred percent of your money in the market, you're probably not going to get a hundred percent returns of the market. So let's say you were kind of a balanced investor, half your money in the market, half not. Well, if the market's up about 15%, basically you should be up, give or take, you know, there's a lot of variables here, but seven, 8%. So if you were up about seven, 8% and half your money in the market, you got about half of what the market did. That's a win. You actually did okay for the year because you didn't take too much risk. And especially last year, that was a big year to be taking a lot of risk. You know, you haven't taken too much risk. But you stayed on plan with the returns that you needed to do what you need to do in retirement. So, Victoria, you know, what I wouldn't do is just fire your broker. Of course, if you want a second opinion or something, we're happy to share that with you. But that's what you're going to hear. What do you need your money to do for the rest of your life? Is it generate income, leave a legacy? Is it purely speculative and growth and, you know, throw caution to the wind and then invest accordingly? You know, so I wouldn't compare myself to my brother-in-law, my neighbor, or even what the market's doing. Compare it to the own benchmarks that you put in your plan because that's what's going to give you confidence going forward.
1: All right. Well, thank you for the question so much. We appreciate you listening to the podcast and that's going to do it this week for us here on the show. So if you've got questions or concerns, as I mentioned before, reach out to Mike at 815-526-3092. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, whatever platform you like to use, Apple, Google, Spotify, so on and so forth. Most smartphones already have podcasting apps right on there. If you're an Apple user, Apple Podcasts is there. And you can just type in Retirement Success Blueprint in their search box. You'll find it that way. Or you can stop by CrystallakeTax.com. Again, that's CrystallakeTax.com to talk with Michael Stewart and his team at Crystal Lake Tax and Financial. Thank you, my friend. Have yourself a great week. I'll talk to you pretty soon, okay? Take care, Mark. We'll see you next time here on the Retirement Success Blueprint
2: with Michael Stewart. We'll talk to you later, folks. Bye-bye. situation and needs. Please contact us to obtain our disclosure brochure relating to the services offered by Sound Income Strategies, LLC, and consider its contents before making any decisions. Where quoted, past performance is not indicative of future performance. Sound Income Strategies LLC does not represent or warrant that the contents of this program are suitable for you from a compliance, regulatory, legal, or any other perspective. We shall have no responsibility for your use or non-use of the program or any portion thereof. Crystal Lake Tax and Financial and Sound Income Strategies LLC are not associated entities.